I don't know whether, um, how many of you have experienced um, what it is to be a foreigner before. I know some of you, yeah, I know some of you have, because some of you, <clears throat> some of you are, are foreigners in this country, but I'm sure probably a lot of us would have had some experience of being a foreigner. I remember when I was 21, on my way to Hong Kong, where I spent a couple of weeks um, smuggling Bibles into China, great experience. But on the way there, we spent an hour at Bombay Airport, and it frightened the life out of me, because I just wasn't ready for it at all. Um, every one of my senses were just assaulted with just something unusual, and it was like, man, this is very, very different. And to be honest with you, I couldn't wait to get back on the plane. Nothing wrong with Bombay, I just wasn't ready for it. Um, then I got to Hong Kong, I stepped off the plane, and I thought that the engine of the plane was blowing onto me. It was so hot. I literally thought that. And then I discovered it was just a breeze. Uh, you just think, man. And I, looked, I remember looking up at, the, um, at some sort of temperature board, and it was something like 97% humidity. You think, man, this is different. I'm a, you know, you suddenly feel I'm a foreigner. I'm not used to this. I mean, my ankles sw swelled up. I would just sit in this room and if you move, you start sweating. So this is different. It's a different experience. And I think even people who come to London that lived in England before that have something of a culture shock sometimes. You feel foreign. You, 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 the pace, um, the noise, the attitude, the non-stop activity, you can think, what on earth is going on here? And today we're going to look at the, some themes in terms of foreignness. Um, not particularly as I've been talking about, but keep in mind this whole concept of surprise, shock, a sense of disorientation, because I think it's helpful when we look at some doctrine in the Bible as we're working through this book of 1 John. So keep that whole idea in mind. And before I read today's passage, just to remind you, or if you haven't, if it's your first time and you think, well, what's the letter of 1 John about? Basically what's happened is this, there's a church who have been um, infiltrated by false prophets, Men that have come in and have brought wrong teaching. They've come into this church and they've started to teach things that have been unhelpful. And so John writes to address it and to correct bad, um, bad doctrine. Um, Satan loves to affect and distort what we believe because we live out of what we believe. Yeah? It's no, it's no good saying I'm not really a, sort of a doctrinal, theological person. I'm not really that sort of person. I tell you, you live out of what you believe. No matter how academic you think you are or you aren't, your whole life and your values come out of your attitudes and your attitudes come out of your beliefs. And so what you believe is a huge thing. What you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about other people, your environment, have huge knock-ons as to how you live. And so John writes in to address this. Some of the things we've tackled already are the humanity and the divinity of Jesus, that he's fully man and fully God. John really focuses in on that because these guys were saying, no, oh, no, he was just a kind of a... He, was, he looked like a man, but he wasn't really a man like you and I are because, you know, he was the son of God. He was just, a, it was just like a shell thing, really, that was going on. But really, um, you know, he wasn't a man in the same way that we are. And John starts his letter, whom we have seen and touched and beheld. And it's very physical. It's deliberately, you say, no, he's a man. Other things are the importance of living up to what you say. You can't just say, I'm in Christ, and then live like everyone else. 
Because these teachers were saying, no, I know I'm sinning, I know I'm doing these things that you call sin, I know I'm being immoral, but you know what, because of what I know in Christ, it's, it's taken me beyond that whole thing of worrying about how you live. I'm, I've, I've elevated from that, um, so really I'm in this kind of plane, so it doesn't really matter now how I live, and I, I might be sleeping around, but you know, I'm on this plane, that's, that's irrelevant, that's just the physical, that's no big deal. I'm, I'm walking with the Lord, and John says, no, if you say you're in him, you need to walk like him. Yeah. So he tackles that. Another thing that he tackles is the importance of learning how to love and how not to love. So he says, look, the big deal in John is loving God and loving one another, but a big deal in John is not loving the world. You can't just love everything, everyone everything, and be a come one, come all. Because if you do that, you won't discriminate between the good and the bad, and you'll end up with just a total mishmash of morality, but you'll think, well, I'm a nice person, but the bottom line is, is that you're in the light and you're in the darkness. John says, no, do not love the world. Don't love the things in the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Of the flesh. Don't give them any room. Don't let your heart be snatched by them. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. So, so in order to love properly, you must learn what not to love. Um, and then finally, we looked at tips on spot, spotting the Antichrist. <laughs> How to spot the Antichrist spirit, we looked at the other week. Um, and it's not so much barcodes and 666. It's much more um, just anything that replaces uh, Jesus in the place of uh, lordship, um, is the spirit of Antichrist. Because in the Greek, anti can mean against Christ, but it can also mean instead of Christ. So anything which replaces Christ is Antichrist. So that's where we've come up to so far. Let's take it now from chapter 3, verse 1. So 1 John, chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 to 10 today. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there's no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. First point, foreign love. Listen to John Stott, the commentator, famous commentator on this passage. Where it says, um, see what kind of love the Father's given to us, he says this, the expression, see what kind of love, or how great a love, translates potapen, that's Greek, which meant originally, of what country? It says, if the Father's love is so unearthly, so foreign to this world, that John wonders, from what country it may come? The word always implies astonishment. The love of God is a foreign love. It's not human in its origin. It's not like the love that you've experienced. You might think, well, of course not. Tell me something new. I'll tell you how many people put onto God their experiences of earthly love and, and, and act and live out as if God treats them in that way. God's love isn't like that. Of what country, John says, where on earth have this kind of love come from? 
very impacting. The biggest mistake we make, I, th- I think, is that we bring God down to what we are. Yeah? We just assume, we make assumptions about God. He, he's, he's the same way. He's just like us. And he's not. He's so different, which means his love is so different. It's not like earthly love. It's not conditional. It's not impatient. It doesn't change with the weather. His love remains steadfast. So when the Bible says you're chosen and dearly loved, guess what? You're chosen and dearly loved. It's Colossians 3. When the Bible says that he chose you in love before the foundation of the world, guess what? He really did. And he's not going to change his mind now because he chose you before you were born and so he knew what you were going to be like. So he chose you in the knowledge of exactly what you are like and said, I want you. I want you to myself with all your strange ways, with all your things you struggle with, with all of the awareness of where you're not as godly as you want to be. He says, I chose you. Before you were born, with the full knowledge of what you are and what you would be, he chose you. It's an unearthly, foreign love. It's intentional love. It's unwavering love. This is the love of God. Galatians 2 says that he's loved you and gave himself up for you. He gave himself up for you. He loves you. Now, what a mistake people often make at this point is that they begin to look into themselves for reasons why. Yeah? Now, this doesn't work whether you're having a good day or if you're having a bad day. Because if you're having a good day, you think, yeah, I've got, I know why. I know why he loved me. He knew I was going to do the thing I just did that no one else saw. Very godly. That was, that was probably one of the reasons why he thought, I'll have that one. Yeah? What are you into? You're into complete Pharisee kind of nonsense. Okay? But it doesn't work if you're having a bad day. Does it? Because you think, he doesn't love me no more. There's no way he loves me anymore because... He knows what I just thought. Yeah? And you get down that road. Both roads lead to total nonsense and deception. The reason God chose you and loves you is completely in himself. It's because he is perfect love. Which means that his love for you doesn't change with your performance. Hallelujah. It's amazing. It's it's, it's, it's even more amazing to live in the good of it. (laughs) Which is why we've got to keep hearing it and keep feeding on it. It's the love of God. He loves you because of who he is. He cannot but love you. He loves who he has made. And it's foreign love. It makes John say, what on earth is this? Where did this love come from? It's staggering, staggering love. You won't find anything like it outside of God. It's outrageous love. Please don't have a religious view of God's love. It's outrageous. It's intoxicating. It's wild and it's free. It's love, for goodness sake. Yeah? I think sometimes we really do damage to the love of God and to the relationship he wants with us by closing the thing in. We close it in to the quiet time. We read our chapters, yeah? Or we do our thing. We do our, I've done my thing, my discipline. And you think, that's good, but it's a lot bigger than that. Isn't it about sunsets as well? And adventures? Isn't it? It's love. Isn't it about moments and memories? Isn't it about hard times? Well, you weep your way through, but you keep going because you know he's got you and you're not going to give up. And isn't it about good times where you're on the mountain and you're saying, I just feel the nearness of God. So, isn't it? It's love, isn't it? It's, not, it's, a, it's a loving, it's the great, it's the sacred romance. It's not, it's not just the thing, I must, yeah, trudge on, plod on. Now, there are times when it's like that. But that's not what it is in essence. Take a marriage for an example. There are times where you just plod on. It's a struggle. You're not connecting. There's tension. And it, you just have to, you think, no, there is that anything. I'm going to go. I'm not going to just back out or run away. I'm going to plod on. But that's not what it is in its essence. In its essence, it's love. 
Likewise, this is what God is after. And it's a foreign love. And the thing that strikes John more than anything else about it is that it's turned us from enemies into children. That's the thing that strikes John. You were enemies, and now you're children. Now, this is staggering. I'll tell you why, because naturally, it doesn't work like this. Naturally, regarding children, you get what you're given. Don't you? You choose your wife or your husband, but in turn, as far as kids go, you get, I remember going for the scan, and there was one scan of Daisy, and I just thought, she hasn't got any eyes. There's no eyes there. I think that's just black holes. I said, to, I said I've got to, you know, I still love her, but I've got to talk to a nurse about this. I said, it's everything okay with the eyes. <laughs> you know, so She's like, yeah, I said, what? Well, they're just like black holes. She said, no, it's fine. She looked at me like I was a real idiot. She said, they're fine. But, you know, you, 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 the reality is, is you get what you're given. Yeah? Now, there is this love where you just love them, but you don't choose who you have. And I think this is what makes adoption special. Because historically, it's not so much the case now, but historically, you would choose the child that you adopted. Yeah? That's, now, how special is that? That's actually more intentional than the thing of getting what you're given. So you say, I want this one. But what we see in the Bible is that God has said, I want this one. But not only that, he has said, I want It's a little bit like as if your child was attacked and murdered by another child, another minor. And then your decision in terms of out of that is to adopt the, the child that murdered your child. Isn't that what God has done? Wasn't it our sins that put Jesus on the cross? Wasn't it us that killed the Son of God? And God's response is, I'm going to adopt you. That's why John says, what, from what country has this love come? It's staggering. If someone did that, and you read about it in the paper, you'd say, that's foreign, wouldn't you? That's foreign. Surely you should be campaigning to get this other kid locked up for as long as possible. You should be campaigning for, you know, but instead, no, I'm going to take him to my home, and I'm going to bring you up. And I'm going to put into you what hasn't been put into you. John says, what love is this? That is God's heart. Towards us. That's the foreign love of God. But it gets even more mysterious because in verse 2 we see, he says, we are God's children and what we will be has not yet appeared. Now, this is the apostle with authority to write scripture. He was probably Jesus' closest friend when, they were, when he was walking the earth. And he says, you know what, we're God's children now, but I don't know what we're going to be. Something's going to happen when Christ returns where you and I will become something even beyond, but we don't know what. How good is that? Maybe you've never heard this before. That's what it says in there. What we, what we will be, we don't know. It's not been revealed yet. God has got more for you than you currently realise. And when Christ appears, it, you, you're going to come into it. Hallelujah. Amen. But what you do know is this from verse 2, that when you see him, you will be as he is. Now, this is a very important principle. Because it has a knock-on for your life now, you see. When you see Jesus Christ as he is, i.e. physically when he returns, and you actually see him no longer with the eye of faith, but you actually see him, you gaze upon him, in that instant, you will be transformed into his likeness. Entirely. You will be as he is. In terms of glory. Now, obviously, you will never be the uncreated son of God, but you will be in his likeness entirely. Now, there's a principle throughout the Bible which says this, is that the thing that you look at most is what you most become. Yes? 2 Corinthians 3 says, as we gaze upon his glory, bit by bit, we become increasingly like his image. We become, that's how you get more like Jesus, looking on Jesus. And yet a lot of Christians make the mistake of thinking that they need to gaze at themselves and feel really spiritual about the fact they're doing that. But you know what? The more you look at, that's what you become. If you spend your whole time looking at yourself, you become increasingly aware of how not like Jesus you are. And that can feel pretty good for a little while. I think, yeah, I'm really, you know, really doing some... Serious stuff on myself here, you know what I mean? 
But the thing is, is that as you go on looking, guess what? The problem just exacerbates and you become increasingly like that. And you think, I'm not getting out of this. Have any of you gone down this road before? Anyone in the house is a bit introspective? You tend to look into yourself. Anyone? I am. My arm's up. That is my, that is my biggest thing I, I battle with. When I, my, my autopilot is... Zoom. That is, it's just like, whoa, keep lifting it up. Yeah? Um, and it can be a real problem because you're thinking, man, alive, and you're just so aware. And it comes out of a heart of wanting to be like Christ. You want to follow Jesus with integrity. So you look, but you think, oh, and then, and then you're there, and you're there for days. And you think, this is getting worse because I'm looking at that and I'm increasingly becoming like that rather than lifting my head and looking at Jesus. And as I do so, oh, by the way, I'm becoming more like him. Isn't it glorious? It's a much better way. That's God's way of sanctifying us. Get your eyes on Jesus. John Calvin, the famous theologian, said it is damnation to behold yourself. <laughs> it's serious language. You know, don't get into it. Behold Jesus. Behold Christ in earnest. Okay? It's very important. Especially if you're given to that. You need to be aware of that. I'm given to this. There's a melancholic thing I need to be aware of. You know, you have to, if you have to know yourself and deal with yourself, you can't say, well, it's all right for them, you know, they're not like that. That's not the point. You are. Deal with it. I am. I'm not being, hypoc- I'm not being judgmental. I am. I've got to deal with myself constantly on it. We all have our own things, okay? So I'm not getting the violin out. We all have our own things. But that's one of my things. So it's like, okay, head up. Come on. Eyes on Jesus. But hallelujah, we've got permission to look on him and be changed into his image. What beautiful foreign love. But the foreign love, you see, then changes, then has an impact on our lives. So we've got to start living a foreign lifestyle. That's the second thing I want to look at today. Because so the foreign love is broken in, but it results in a foreign lifestyle. You see, what he says here in verse 3 is this. We're just going to work through these verses today. Everyone who ho- has this hope in himself purifies himself as he is pure. It's like the Olympic champion. You, speak, you, you sometimes hear these Olympic champions being interviewed and, 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 and you look at their life story and you find out that from the earliest age they just gave, they had this thing in their mind, that's what I'm going for. Either they had a, a mum and dad that was very driven or whatever. You know, you see it with these tennis champs, don't you? you, you they were moved halfway around the world at the age of six to be in this tennis school and then moved there. And you, their life, you think, it's not a normal life. Why? Because the whole of their life, they're being prepared, they're being shaped, they're being moved into this role to be the world champion. That's what their life is about. And, and, and they're driven by this dream, this goal, this hope, if you like. It's a very helpful illustration. You hear about them. They perhaps wouldn't go out on a Saturday night with their friends. Why? Because they, they, they had to be up early in the morning for training or they'd go out but they'd just drink juice, not beer. Why? Well, because they had to look after their body because of what's happening, uh, what's ha- their training. It's all very, very strict. Or they had to go away on a retreat for weeks because before a championship because they had to focus in. And you think, what is this? What it is, is this. There's something future that, that they're going for and, and because of what they're going for, everything in the present is shaped towards that. And what John is saying is this, because we have this hope of Jesus returning and us becoming like him, that, that, this is the big deal for the Christian. Now what I'm saying now is countercultural in Christian circles. Okay? Because what we are told in a lot of Christian circles is this, the big deal is, is that you get all your dreams fulfilled in this life. That's the, that's the big flavour coming through. That is not the New Testament flavour. Now, God is into fulfilling dreams. But the big deal in the New Testament is this, the day. How often do you think about the day? Huge question. The Olympic champion thinks about the day daily because he's very aware that everything about his current life is being shaped towards that. How much more 
The Bible logic is this. How much more if we are going for a prize that will not fade? Yeah? These people give their lives. They train, they sacrifice for, for, for something that will perish, is the Bible logic. They do all this for something that will perish. How much more for us who are, who are going for this eternal crown that will never fade, this eternal glory? God, give us faith to really grasp this, yeah? I think very often it's just this little, little bit out there. No, because the idea is, is that we purify ourselves because of the day. Yeah? The day's coming, and we don't want it to be a day of shame, because it's a day of reckoning, isn't it? Everything that is hidden will come to light. Bottom line, if you live in a double life, it's going to come out. There's really no point. Let me urge you here today, if you live in a double life, don't bother. Because you may fool other people, but there's a day coming where everything that is secretive will be exposed. And it will be a lot more humiliating than 50 or so people knowing about it. It will be before angels and all that have ever lived. This is a, it's, a, it's a sobering thing. And I'm not preaching perfectionism here, but I'm saying, let's, let's be real. Be real. It's a sober thing. It's all going to come out. That's what the days are for. And so we need to just be up front and say, actually, look, I need help. <laughs> you know, I really need some help here, because I'm into this, and it's bad, and I don't know what the heck to do, and I've been kidding people. If that's you, look, no one's going to judge you. We're all made of the same flesh. We're all battling with the same things. Some of us are doing better than others at the moment, but we're all in the same fight. Yeah? No one's going to kick you when you're down. Let me assure you of that. That won't happen. But we've got to be real, because we've got to be, this day's coming. And so I'm willing to cut things back here. I'm going to say no to that, because I'm going for that. I'm going to purify myself. Everything that gets in the way, no, because I want that day. See, that day for the Christian is to be a day of glory. It's to be a day of national anthems. It's to be a day of standing on podiums. It's to be a day of weeping and crying, saying, I can't believe it, mate. It's to be a day of God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. It's to be a day of heavenly applause and glory. It's to be a day of uh, Jesus putting the crown on our head, us throwing it back at his feet, him putting it back on our head, just loving each other. That's what the day is about. It's to be a huge celebration. That's the idea, you see. But it means cutting back on, it means so insane no stuff. It means watching that nothing comes into your life that's going to affect you, you know, really getting, getting, winning the race is the biblical terminology. Everything that hinders, I'm going to run so as to win. Now, I'm not running against you. I'm not trying to beat you. You've got your own race. That's very important. I'm not racing against you. Yeah? I've got my own race, but I'm running as to win. Yeah? God isn't going to say, yeah, but look, you didn't do so well compared to Dean. He's not going to do that. We didn't do so well, you know, compared to Lindsay. He's not gonna, it's not how he's going to do it, because we've got a different measure, each of us, and a different calling. But he's going to ask us, did you live up to what I put in you? Yeah? Foreign lifestyles is what we should be living, because we're going for the goal. That's what we're after. So we live differently. We live as foreigners. We don't assimilate. We don't try to... Let me say, don't try to assimilate to the morals and values around you. Don't do it. You're not called to do it. You're called to be different. You're called to look like a foreigner. Now let's just look at this, because the missionary training thing is an interesting one here. Because on missionary training, which everyone, if you're going to be a rever, you've got to come to three weeks, fantastic. But we teach you, you've got to embed in the culture. You've got to embed yourself right in the culture, because you're a missionary. But now I'm saying don't assimilate. What am I getting at here? What I'm saying is this. Don't do weird stuff that is associated with Christianity, but has nothing to do with Jesus. Things like sandals and socks. There's no need for it. Doesn't help the advance of the gospel. Or just an odd fascination with old English. Don't do it. Doesn't help. Playing the tambourine out of time. <laughs> it's an optional extra. Okay? If you can, if you but it's not gonna help in terms of do help, do what you can to connect, to be to, to so that you can genuinely help the people that we're living with. You can love them in a meaningful way and so that there can be an understanding. You're not just weird. 
It just doesn't, it's no, it doesn't glorify God. There's no need for it. Strange haircuts and weird ideas. There's no need, no need for it. It should be normal. Okay? But when it comes to morals, when it comes to morals and um, worldly values, we don't assimilate. Yeah? And so, and so the testimony about us should be, this, should be this. They're just like me. They're nothing like me. Yes? Should be able to say both things. They're just like me. They're nothing like me. Because we make a stand. I am definitely going to be practically foreign on certain things. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to get... No, I'm not doing it. I'm a, I love Jesus. I'm not doing it. Oh, I thought you were just like us. Well, I am, but I'm not. Yeah? Yeah, I am, yeah, but I'm not at all. I'm, so it's, that's what this thing should look like. So we're to embed, but not assimilate, but to stand out. And then he says, okay, this is going to be a long sermon, isn't it? Sorry. You up for a long sermon? Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. You really let yourself in for it now. Lock the doors. And he says, <laughs> so, okay, so we purify ourselves because of the hope, and then everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. This is a new definition of sin. We've looked at other words in the Bible used, but here it says sin is lawlessness. So sin is what? It's breaking God's commands. Anything from not loving God with your whole heart to chasing after your mate's girlfriend to gossiping about the miserable boss at work. All of these things break God's commandments. God has said, no, don't do this. God's law, if you want to sum it up, is this, that his desire is that we love him with all that we are and that we love our neighbour as we love ourselves. If you're doing anything that, that is hindering that, you're sinning. And, and you can't just say, I'm in Christ, I'm following Jesus, but I'm sinning as well. So it's fine. No, 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 they're completely incompatible. We see here that um, Jesus, who was sinless, appeared to take away sins. In him, there is no sin. Okay? So Jesus, who never sinned, came to deal with sin, came to take it away. So what we see is that Jesus is opposed to sin, so you can't live in sin and say, it's okay. Because I've got this mystical kind of connection with Jesus. No, it's not okay. And you haven't got a mystical connection with Jesus. You're probably being deceived by a demon. Because Jesus will not fellowship with you and make his presence known in terms of fellowship if you are actively sinning against him. He won't do that. He's not going to fellowship with that. He's not going to come into it. He's going to say, no, repent. Okay, he loves you. You're still his child, hopefully, if, you've been, if you are one of his. You may not be one of his. You may be kidding yourself on that front. But if you're, he'll still, but he says, look, Repent of that. You can't do it. You can't, you, they're just incompatible. Now, this is hugely controversial in our time. Hugely controversial because people don't believe in the Ten Commandments. They don't believe in the authority of the Bible. But the Bible says that deep down we all know what, what this thing's about anyway. We all know what's right and what's wrong. We just push it down so that we can get away with what we want. Unbelief is not a matter of belief. It's a matter of the will. I don't want to believe. It's easier not to face up to God, isn't it? It's an easier thing. You haven't got to be accountable. Then you can just pretend, oh no, you know, there's no such thing as God, I can do what I want. Mustn't be like that. Sin is the thing that destroys lives, destroys relationships, destroys minds, destroys friendships, destroys marriages. You can all trace it back to sin. Jesus came to take it away. Hallelujah. So you're in Christ. You can live free from the power and the government of sin. So the result is this, verse 6, if you're in him, don't carry on sinning. Now, you can still sin, okay, because this is very strong words. He says, listen, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Have you ever, I mean, let's not, let's not, let's not skirt around those verses. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. 
What does this mean? Does this mean Christian can't sin? It doesn't mean that at all. 1 John 1, the same letter, verse 8, says if anyone says he hasn't got any sin, he's kidding himself. So, yeah, we've got sin indwelling. But if we live a life that practices sin, we walk in that direction, you're kidding yourself. You, 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 you've missed, you, it's not true. It's not actually the truth. That you're living in deception there. That's not the way it is at all. You need to declare war on sin. So you're still aware of the temptations and, you, and we, we all stumble in many ways. James says it, absolutely. Hands up. But there's this attitude of war against sin. Yeah? You see it creeping in attitudes. Yeah? Anger. Revenge. Bitterness. Yeah? I'm going to get you back for that. Yeah? Lust. Wow. wow. Yeah? And yet, war. It's very real. It's not just kind of theological ivory tower stuff. It's real. It kicks in day to day, doesn't it? That's what it should be like because... These false prophets were lying. He says, no, you want to walk with Christ, you've got to walk in this way. And John says, verse 7, don't let no one deceive you. Don't be deceived. Don't be taken by, away by smooth talk. That, listen, Jesus says, you know, look, the false prophets, you want to find out a false prophet, look at their life, see their fruit. You can't gather grapes from a, from a thistle bush and, and vice versa. You want to see if someone's a real thing, look at their life. Their life should be on display. should be examples. They should be examples. People who come and and teach. It's a fearful thing. I feel it. You, know, you think, man, I'm teaching this stuff. I'm aware. I've got to fight. I've got to fight well. So I want to be an example. But you feel the reality of it. Sometimes the drawer of sin is sometimes such a powerful, such an attractive thing. But we've got to declare war on it. When, you, when you're in Christ, you get bothered by sin. You read stories in the paper, it bothers you. You know that feeling? You think, this is bothering me. I want to change it. Anyone know that? What's that in you? That's God in you. I want to change this. And that's what we're here for. We're here, to, aren't we, to live differently, to tell people about Jesus. We're here to, to begin to change and be, as the Bible describes it, the fragrance of Christ in our city. Now, to some, the Bible says it'll be life. They'll smell us and they'll say, oh, I like that. That's fantastic. Can I, can I know more? Others will go, oh, it's death. That's what the Bible says. To some, it'll be life. To others, it'll be, oh, get away from me. They'll oppose us or they'll run a mile. That's fine. As long as you just acting like Christ. Yeah? The, the response is, well, it's down to people. I mean, that's, that's with the Lord, isn't it? And with them. But the, we, we're to be the fragrance of Christ. And then John introduces the devil, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. There's a lot of confusion about the devil. Here's a quote from John Stott. In a nutshell, what does the devil do? Morally, his work is enticement to sin. He's a real spirit personality. He has many, many demons that follow him. And their aim morally is to entice you into sin. Okay? Wake up to it. That's reality. If you, if you pretend it's not there, it still is. <laughs> so you need to just be aware of it. Secondly, physically, the infliction of disease. Thirdly, intellectually, seduction into error. He still assaults our soul, body and mind in these three ways and Christ came to destroy his works. What we see here is that if we compromise and if we, if we begin to entertain sin, we are getting cosy with Satan. That's the bottom line. You're cozying up to Satan. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. In a war, it's kind of hard to be neutral. Switzerland seems to do it quite well. I don't know how they do it. But... I think sometimes, you know, you know what you think, I've got to choose sides here. And the side that I choose, I'm going to go for, yeah? I'm going to be passionate about, yeah? This is the side I'm on to the death. Who's seen The Princess Bride? Fantastic film. There's a great moment where, where he's about, he's a hero. 
similar to me, looks in it. And uh, he's got a mask on, all that, he's great. And, uh, and, and the baddies come and they're about to arrest him and he's surrounded. And um, he says, I'm like, at first they say to him, surrender. And he says, very kind of you, accept your surrender. He's surrounded by this army, you know. And they say, no, 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 surrender or die. And he says, never. And, and then he says something like, you know, he says, you must surrender. And he just looks at me and he says, death first. I think, yeah, I like that. Death first. Yeah? No surrender. Yeah? When I was young, there were these martial arts films out called No Retreat, No Surrender. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Let's, not call our, let's not call our weekend away a retreat. Yeah? We're just going to get a break. We're not retreating at all. We're not giving any ground away, are we? No retreat, no surrender. Yeah? Death first. Amen? Amen. We're on that side. That's what we're about. So, um... John Stott says, if the whole purpose of Christ's first appearing was to remove sins and to undo the works of the devil, Christians must not compromise with either sin or the devil, or they will find themselves fighting against Christ. So let's choose what side we're on and go for it. Final point, foreign life or foreign seed. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. In verse 9, we discover something so radical has happened to us as we've received Christ that the most natural thing in the world now is righteousness for us. Listen to this. It is the Christian's supernatural birth from God which keeps him from habitual sin. The new birth, these lovely words, some of the words are quite long, but stay with it and it's worth grasping. The new birth involves the acquisition of a new nature through the implanting within us of the very seed or life-giving power of God. Birth of God is a deep, radical, inward transformation. Moreover, the new nature received at the new birth remains. It exerts a strong internal pressure towards holiness. I like that. You've got this seed in you. It exerts a strong internal, so no one's forcing you from the outside. There's this internal engine, this pressure towards holiness. It is the abiding influence of God's seed within everyone who is born of God which enables John to affirm without fear of contradiction that he cannot go on sinning. Now, the word for seed here is the word sperm. It's exactly the same word in the Greek. Okay? So the terms are very vivid, what John is saying here. It's not some pie-in-the-sky spiritual idea. The very sperm of God, the divine sperm, the divine seed of God, when you are born again, comes into you and you become like him. Do any of you ever find yourself saying things or acting in ways that are petrifyingly like one of your parents? Have you ever done that? You say something and then you think, oh, I've heard that before somewhere. It's scary, isn't it? And what I find is this can happen in mannerisms. It can happen with attitudes. It can happen with figures of speech. It can, and you think, oh, no. And other people say, you think, no, no, shush. And, but the, here's news for you. I'm speaking as one of the older people in the church. <laughs> Your youth club, you. <laughs> that... As you get older, it gets worse. And you see it and you think, man, I'm becoming like my old man. You think, oh no, what's happening? I love my dad. But you think, when you're young, you think, oh no, I want to be like that. That's what you think. But nothing of the will can keep you from it. It's more powerful than that. What's going on? The seed is in you. It's what you are. It's what you are. Now, there are things that may be about our parents that may be ungodly that in the power of the gospel we can break free from. So don't hear what I'm not saying, but it's what you are. Now, John is saying exactly the same thing. If you are born of God, it's what you are. You can't sin happily. It's what you are. Yeah? Now, this is very liberating. Because it takes it out of the realm of just willpower. It says, no, this is what you are. Now apply your will. Yeah? 
So we do have to apply our will and resolve. I'm going for this, death first. But it's like, actually, there is this engine inside of me that just wants holiness. Amen? So it's the miracle of being born again. I mean, people don't preach into that strongly enough. People have a low view of being born again. We say, oh, I made a decision for Jesus. Please, it was so much more than that. If you have made a decision for Jesus, it's because you were enabled by the Spirit of God as he came on you and implanted his seed in you. Before he did that, you would never have made a decision for Jesus. I don't care how many preachers you listen to or how Christian you got brought up, it wouldn't have happened. You were against God. But God came in, his seed came in you. There was an enabling that caused you to turn to Christ. It's his miracle. We are the products of God's divine seed. He lives in us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So there's a foreign life at work in you. The DNA of the righteous one is written all over you. Now, it's fundamentally what you are. Hallelujah. But what will that life look like? Well, the final point is this. It will be righteous, but what does that look like? Well, John reminds us here in verse 10. It's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Righteousness and love cannot be separated. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's fantastic. There is no question but that the essence of holiness is love. We only conceive of holiness truly when we conceive of it in terms of love. Love is the opposite of enmity, the opposite of hatred, the opposite of strife. If we are Christians, we are lovers of God, we delight in him. The holiness of the man who is in Christ, the holiness of the Christian is not some mechanical conformity to the law, neither is it mere morality. A man may be moral without loving holiness. Morality is a negative quality, it means not committing sin. But that's not holiness. Holiness is positive, it is essentially a matter of loving. Yeah? Yeah? That is the seed. And doesn't this make sense? Because it is the seed of the God who is love, who has come into us. And so the main thing that will mark our lives as we look like our new parent will be what? Love. Hallelujah. It's the miraculous internal driving thing that God has done here. So I don't look lustfully at that seductive lady, for example. Why? Ultimately, not just because, well, I shouldn't, ultimately, ultimately as I grow mature, it's because I love her. Yes? I love her, and so I see beyond what is just being presented there, and I care for the heart and the soul of that woman. Now that, to me, is a lot more satisfying than just this thing of kind of, mustn't, 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 mustn't. Now there's a place for that. Apparently some of the Pharisees used to have big knocks on their heads from walking to walls and shutting their eyes and wanting not, not, to sit into, um, not to sit in the sin of lust. They shut their eyes and donk, and they'd have this, this kind of tr- trophies of holiness. Now, sometimes, sometimes, you know, there's a place of just being radical in terms of, in terms of just not wanting to, you know. But surely what God wants to do with us is give us a love for that person, yeah? Or, or, or the person who, you know, bullies my child at school. It's like, I don't take revenge. Why? Because I just think, man, you, you need mercy. You don't need to be trodden on. Do you know what I mean? You don't need me to come around your house and beat you up. That's not going to, you need mercy because that's what I've got. Yeah, I love you. Do you see what I mean? And that's, that's, that's how biblical holiness is worked out. It's a miraculous love from God. So praise God, a community that grasps this will be a community that causes to, the world to turn its head and say, that's the real thing. I believe it. If we get this, the world will turn and say, now those people love one another. At this stage, there's not much, many things we're running as a church. Projects, etc. The list is very, very short. But if we can get this love thing, then we can build a good foundation. And then what we do build in the future will be strong, and it will be true, and it will stand the test of time. Yes? It won't just be administratively well run, although hopefully it will be, but it will be driven by love. 
and it will be motivated in a, in a true way. And um, so I want to build a wise foundation for the future and let our true DNA come through, yeah? So that we're all, everything that he's done is clearly miraculous. It's got God's stamp all over it. Let me give you a challenge today to finish. Make it your aim actively to encourage someone today. Today, before you leave this morning or when we go to the pub tonight, before you leave tonight, make it your aim to look someone in the eye and just say, mate, I just want to say, I love the way you do this. Or thanks for just being so dot, dot, dot. Do it. It's in your DNA to do it. But fear stops us. Yeah? Fear of embarrassment. Fear of, well, 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 then what? If I say that, and then where will the conversation go? And then it might be really embarrassing. (laughs) Come on, get a grip. We should be bigger than this. It's like the guys who never start a song in case, well, what if someone starts one at the same time? Well, you know, I mean, I'm sure worse things happen in the world. You know? I won't pray out now because someone might start at the same time and then who's going to carry on and who's going to stop? What if you both stop? And then what if you both start again at the same time? I'll have to leave the church. Get over it. Get over it, please. Yeah? We, we, need to, we need to just develop some kind of thick skin on these things so that we can love each other and encourage one another, yeah? Otherwise, what happens is silence. And, you know, not just in terms of when we work, but afterwards, you know, just say good things. Or we just do the, we just do the those of us that are British, just do the British thing. Oh, I'm too embarrassed to encourage you. Let's find something to moan about. <laughs> That's easier, less embarrassing. Don't do it. Don't do it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Father, we thank you that your love is so foreign. We were enemies, but you've brought us in and made us your own. And uh, God, we just want to be those who live bold over with your love. We don't want to bring you down to what we are, Lord. Help us to fix our eyes on you and not on ourselves. Because we become like what we look at. And we want to look at you, Jesus. Thank you that one day you're going to return. We're going to see you as you are. And we're going to become like you in an instant. What a miraculous moment. That will be. I pray in the meanwhile that you, by your spirit, God, would help us to uh, live foreign lives. That we would be happy about standing out. And we wouldn't make it our aim to assimilate and to be unnoticed. But that, Lord, we would be happy to live for you in this world. And I thank you, Lord, that your seed is in us. And that there's this internal uh, kind of a godly pressure, this, this direction towards holiness. It's miraculous, Lord. And I pray increasingly that we would live out what we truly are to your glory. Amen. 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 Shall we praise the Lord? Yeah.